very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. This is Narain, your host. Today, I'm excited to have Andy Cleveland, Dental Accounts Receivable Ninja. Hi, Mr. Ninja. Hi, Andy. How are you today? <laughs> hello, hello, Naren. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be here. And it seems like I've heard about you and run into you in a lot of my social and consulting circles, but we've never met until today. So I am honored to meet you. Same here, Andy. I'm super excited to meet you. And I think even though you don't do marketing, you definitely understand marketing in the way you branded yourself dental accounts receivable ninja and now everybody knows you as the ninja in for dental accounts receivable that's awesome well thank you i've had a lot of help along the way so it's not all me but thank you very much for saying that thank you and um let me jump right in because our listeners want to learn you know they are very busy doctors uh, who have busy practices so i want to kind of start helping them with your knowledge so let's talk about some of the things you notice when you get into a practice. What are some of the the, the what are some of the pain points of not having the best in the world accounts receivable um, as a dentist? Like, what have you seen? Tell me some stories. Like, how much money have they left on the table because they don't do a good job with accounts receivables? Yeah, the the stories that I could give you would probably blow you away, but I've had everything from dentists very ecstatic and excited about business development and running their business and passionate and just so excited about making their staff's lives better and, and running a more efficient machine. So I've had the flip side of literally dentists uh, one dentist in particular, after 30 years, trying to sell his practice, and he couldn't sell it uh, for the price he wanted because he had so much AR out there that it wasn't valued. It, you know, the, the business uh, people were not valuing the practice the way he thought it would be valued, and he lost a huge amount of money. He was basically uh, in tears um, looking at all the money that he had lost over so many years it's one of those things that we all have pains of regret. And I know we regretted it, and I felt so bad for him, but there was literally nothing I could do totally helpless. You can't undo 30 years of bad habits. I know. So in numbers, how, what kind of regret did he have? I mean, both in terms of the accounts receivable on his books versus the, the value that he didn't get when he went to sell the business. Is it like hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yes, yeah. Now he probably hadn't written off an account since the seventies. But so but he had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars out. I mean, that could have funded his retirement, that could have sent his kids to college. Uh that's opportunity lost. <coughs> and so it's so sad right. to see that happen. Tell me why did he a, get into the, that? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure it was very innocuous how it started. Um, right? We all start bad habits, uh, usually fairly innocuously, right? And like, I don't smoke, but I just think about someone smoking, like just to look cool with their friends. And, you know, next thing you know, you're addicted to smoking and you can't stop. And same kind of process, I believe, happens in dental practices and really any business. 
if you don't start off on the right foot, it's very, very difficult to change your strategy, right, mid-step, right? So if in the beginning, most practice owners are so hungry for new patients and they have student loans to pay and real estate loans and, and the, you know, they, they have all these obligations. So they just let everyone come in. But then five or ten years later, when they're out of the woods and they're, they're doing well, their patients have been accustomed to, you know, them having very lack, lackadaisical standards with billing and collections. And maybe they don't uh, ask, routinely ask for the money at checkout. So then when they start doing that, the patients feel betrayed. You know, like, oh, last time you sent me a statement and, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I could pay next time I came. But now you want me to pay before I'm seen or when I'm checking out. And you just do a lot of damage to your patient base. So doing things correctly from day one is so important. And I think that goes for any part of your business, Darren. I couldn't agree more. What you're saying is it's much easier to create and keep good habits than to undo bad habits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you pretty much have to start all over. And that's very, very difficult to do. And it's very painful and very costly. So developing right. uh, really great habits is, is the way to go. It's painful in the beginning, but the, the long-term advantage is much, much better outcome than trying to switch up uh, midway through the cycle. Right. I mean, thinking of the smoker, right? You have the light occasional smoker, then you have the, you know, five cigarettes a day smoker, and then you have chain smokers who can't put their cigarettes down. Do you see, like, can you categorize people with this problem into, like, four buckets? I'm just asking because you've been doing it for so many years. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. I haven't looked at it that way, so thanks for challenging that me with that philosophy. Um, I haven't, haven't looked at it that way. Um, I usually see a variation, so it's not usually one way or another. Uh, a lot of practices, people operate them, especially if they're independent. They're operating them very emotionally because it, it's inevitable that you're developing relationships with people in the community. And when you let that affect your business judgment, then, you know, sometimes uh, you might change your approach depending on the day or the patient or the staff. And so I think most common is a variation uh, of those approaches. I wouldn't say they're all, you know, downright chain smoking, just letting everyone not pay them when they're in the practice, but some, some mixture of that depending on the day. Right. So one is, um, so do you, like, I mean, let me just bring it back to something I understand as a marketing person. So I used to give a lot of things to people. I never really put a value on it. So they didn't appreciate it. So, right. and after a while they started taking me for granted and they, they didn't uh, even say thank you. Right. And, uh, wow. and um, after a while, you know, when you stop, they get mad. So it kind of, you're describing something similar, right? Like you provided a service. When you go to eat at a restaurant, you know, I just ate your food. I should pay for the food that I just ate, right? Mm -hmm. Now, why is it any different? You know, just like any other business, the dentist provided a service and I should expect to pay for that service I just received. 
you know, he has a family, he has things, but we end up in this trap where, like you said, they get used to not paying or not paying on time. And then now they feel, you know, kind of like you have let them down because you don't pay. So does it start? I, Go ahead. No, no, I would say uh, you're, you're exactly right. People value uh, what they pay for. And so that right. equates to den dentistry. You can always find someone to do your business or any other business cheaper. There's always going to be someone at the bottom of the barrel cost, but you kind of get what you pay for. And I think the same thing holds true with dentistry and, frankly, with consultants. You know, if you're looking for, you know, cookie cutter, lowest common denominator, you want to spend the least amount of money, I think, respectfully, you're usually getting that service in kind. And if you're willing to invest more and the practice is more invested in outcomes, I think that uh, the outcome is better for everyone involved. So we've always positioned ourselves as, hey, we're not the cheapest. We don't claim to be, um, but we do believe we're the best. And we, we, we do like to have, we're, we're going to promise what we're going to do. We're going to bring great results for the practice, but we're going to ask for a commitment from the practice so that we can actually help them rather than, you know, if they don't have any skin in the game, they're just, again, continuing down that path that got you in front of them in the first place. And I don't, I want to help people. I don't, I want to see them improve. I don't want them to stay status quo. Right, <clears throat> right. Now, let's say somebody, so when you get into a practice, obviously they have a problem, right? They're, they are smoking. Maybe they're not chain smokers, but they do have an issue, right? That's why they call you. Sometimes. So oh. you know, I think that's, that's a traditional uh, probably mindset that like I have a problem and I try to stay away from that word because, right, there's a lot of negative connotation with that. So right. I like to look at it, and I think most of, most of the practices I work with uh, don't have problems. I mean, maybe they see them as problems, but I see them as they're doing a lot more things right than they're doing wrong, and they're just looking at improving and building on that. And that's the right. ideal customer for me, is not someone that's such a mess that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hopeless. It's someone that says, hey, we're doing a great job. You know, we're at a 90% collection rate, but our annual goal is we want to be at 97. How do we achieve that without hiring more people? Those are the types of people that I'm typically working with or people that are really technology-driven and really excited about progressive technology and uh, really right, have, that vi have a vision for their practice on how they want to be seen in the community and, and how they want to operate to best serve the patient. Right. That's awesome. So you tend to attract clients who are already doing a good job, but they want to go to the next level, and you help them go to that next level, so 90% to 97%. Um, so let's talk through that client. So you come in. How do you help them go from 90% collections to 97% collections? Typically, we're streamlining their internal process. So practices have basically operated very similarly for the past 30 years, right? They get insurance to pay. They're usually, you know, pre-estimating what the insurance pays. Then they send out a series of bills to the patient. What happens is that practices 
and I would say dentists in, in, in particular, tend to over-empathize with the patient. When you think about your average dentist, you're talking a very intelligent, high-performing, educated person. And they think that their belief system and how they see the world is very similar to their own. But the reality of it is that the general population is much different than your average dentist. And they think differently. So I find a lot of dentists want to let their accounts receivable slide for months and months and months um, because they say, hey, this is a good guy. He told me he's going to pay. You know, uh, and that's great that they see the world through that uh, optimistic lens. But the reality of it is if someone hasn't paid you 60, 90, 120 days, that is a big problem. And addressing that prophylactically instead of when you have to pull the tooth many months or years down the road is much better for the health of the practice. I understand. So what you're saying is, what you're saying is um, dentists give people the benefit of the doubt and many times it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm not trying to turn anyone, anyone into a pessimist. Um, I, I'm a very nice person. I believe the best in, every, in most people as well. But looking at people's behavior as the true indication of their intent is key. It's not necessarily what's said. We can all say things, but if we do something different near them, that's an entire different, different ballgame. So I like to educate my practices to look at things behaviorally um, as opposed to emotionally. Right. Give me some examples. Right? Give me some specific. Yeah. I mean, someone says they're going to uh, make a payment to you month after month and they break it. And you know they're not a bad person. It's not like you dislike them or you want to d discharge them from the practice. But they're telling you one thing and doing another. It's the same thing with, you know, your family. You know, you have children, right? Yes. Okay, so you have a 10-year-old child. If they keep telling you they're going to clean their room, but they never clean their room, what is that telling you? Well, <laughs> it tells me that I'm being a bad parent. <laughs> well, you're probably, you know, you're probably a good parent. You're just maybe, right? Maybe you're just being optimistic parent. So, but, to, right. but, but reconditioning that behavior for them to do the desired behavior and for you to reward them for doing that, that's the key. That's how you affect behavior change. And so the same thing goes through with the practice. You need to have some positive reinforcement. You need to have some consequences if people don't follow through on what they say. But ultimately, running a dental practice is a business. It is not a nonprofit venture. You've got overhead to pay and student loans and malpractice insurance and marketing and employees and taxes, right? You deserve to get paid if you provide a quality service. I think everyone deserves to get paid. So give me some examples. How do you, what kind of positive reinforcement can you provide? What kind of negative consequences can there be? Give me some examples, like real world examples of what you have done with dental practices. Yeah, so I think positive 
we always want to stay positive when, it, when at all possible. But uh, considering discounting your service if a patient pays you when they schedule an appointment or when they're at checkout and they decide to pay you with a check or cash instead of a credit card, you have to experience those merchant fees. I think it's important to reward the patient for that. Um, that happened to me personally about a year ago. Uh, my dentist, you know, uh, did a filling, and he said, you know, I'll, if you want to pay me with a check, I'll shave, you know, thirty bucks off the bill. And so I dusted the check, the dust off my uh, checking account, and wrote him a check, and it saved me thirty bucks. Like that created loyal loyalty for me. Like, I thought that was really cool that he would pass his savings on to me. So that's probably just one example of being something uh, positively reinforcing. Um, another could be you encouraging your staff to collect the balance at checkout, and maybe you incentivize them to do so. Right? Like, your, your, your practices, your, the people working in your practice, you know, we all work to things that we get compensated for or rewarded for doing, right? We don't right. necessarily all do things for free. I mean, you'd like to think that we're all that altruistic, but the reality of it is is people do what they're rewarded to do. So maybe offering an incentive for the person that is uh, checking out your patients, if they achieve a certain level of collection rate, maybe you reward them. I mean, you're going to offset your losses are going to be inevitable if they don't ask. So why not? Makes perfect sense. And what are some of the negative consequences? Well, the negative consequences uh, for failure to pay can be uh, there's all different types of things that could happen. So, Naren, if you don't pay your house payment, what happens to you? Well, you get a couple of warnings and then somebody takes over your house. <laughs> yeah, right? Or yeah. what about if you, if, you, if you owe something on your car? Uh, do they let you just drive around for free for months and months? What do they no. do with your car? No, they, they take your car away. Okay. The problem is you can't take your dentistry back. Right. You can't take it back. You can't get the braces back. You can't put someone, take someone out of pain, then not pay you, and then put them back into pain, right? Doesn't, just doesn't happen that way. So you have to make consequences. And that's where I really come in and my company can step in is being a licensed collection company, we have consequences that we can provide to the patient. Um, and initially, we don't want to ruin that relationship. We don't want the patient to go somewhere else or to get on Yelp and complain about you. But at the same point, if you value that relationship, if both parties value that relationship, the dentistry uh, has been rendered and payment for that consideration should be coming. So if there is uh, trust and honor in that relationship, both parties are compensated. So my company can actually deliver consequences for failing to pay. So we can call the patient, um, we can send them letters, you know, sometimes you have to get attorneys involved, a negative credit report. Those are all things that can happen to any of us if you should not fulfill your obligations to whoever you owe, whether it's 
to your house, your car, your cell phone, your dentist, it's all the same thing. We're all consumers. Right. Dentistry is no different. It's just they just, just tend to be in healthcare. Which for makes some sense. reason, it makes people think that they, that absolves them from paying because they actually care about you and your oral and physical health that that should negate you paying. It just doesn't make any sense. I get it. I understand. Let me um, let me talk about the doctor's mindset and the team's mindset. Do you find a lot of times people have the wrong map or the wrong mindset, which might be causing some of the problem, or they lack certain, like for example, you talked about positive rewards, right? Positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. um, you know, both for the staff as well as for the patient. Um, like, can you tell me about like? You walk into a dentist who has never talked to the ninja, right? And uh, he doesn't know a lot of these things. So right. what do you typically encounter? Like, what, where do you start? Yeah, we really just look at the numbers. The numbers are really going to tell everything, looking at their aging and seeing where the opportunities are. Um, sometimes it's an insurance. Sometimes they're very ineffective on the insurance front. And I'm a huge proponent of outsourcing insurance. There's some awesome companies out there that do that very reliably in a HIPAA-compliant, safe manner. And you could just pull the insurance right out of your practice, let someone else deal with it, and you can focus on delivering outstanding patient care and really be there presently giving a great experience to your patient. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, if the insurance is a mess, very often the patient pay side of the business is equally a mess. So sometimes you have to address the insurance before you can even begin to address the patient pay, right? So if they're not collecting what they should on insurance, you really don't know what the patient owes. And that creates a huge uh, bottleneck in the practice. But most of the stuff that we see are you know, not uh, malicious or completely ignorant. It's just someone being in that chair for a period of time and you know, you start making decisions and doing things a certain way and you get so wrapped up in what you're doing. And it happens to me all the time in my business. You know, I think very idiosyncratically about my business. And then, you know, I meet someone like yourself that sees sees it differently. And sometimes it's just being a good listener and a good coach and identifying those opportunities and finding creative ways to change that behavior. Right. How do you go about changing behavior? You start with the mindset, you shift their mindset, and then just tell me, how do you go about creating that? Yeah, this is like the most difficult, uh, you know, example is trying to figure out how to change behavior. Um, But it's got to come typically from the top down, right? So the, the, the dentist or the business owner has to really take leadership or ownership of this typically. Now, we need buy-in from the people on the ground floor too. So it's got to be a working proposition for everybody. But it's basically relating well to people, giving them practical advice that makes their lives better, less stress, less work, more efficiency. I've had uh, practices hire me because their wife is the office manager and they just want uh, him or her to get a lunch break. And if you don't have a system in place like ours, maybe you don't get a lunch break. 
And maybe that's what's most important. I mean, that, that could save your marriage. So it's finding out what motivates people, getting to know them, talking to them, and then figuring out how can you make your life better? Is it uh, relieving some stress here? Is it, you know, outsourcing this entirely so you can do what you do best? But having the right people in the right positions is really key. Right, right. And there is a different set of solutions, right? You can outsource some or many of these things, or you could uh, do it, but do it in a different way. You could have somebody check in and keep you on track. So I guess there's a variety of solutions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And not every practice in America just wants to make as much money for the least amount of cost. My experience is uh, dentists are typically very passionate people about what they do. And many of them, I think, would do do what they do with with very little financial gain. Now, not, I know that's not all of them, but they love what they do. So allowing people to be to pursue their passion and be happy, and then everything just seems to take care of itself after that. Right, right. Um, can you give me? Um, an example of, of, of one of the best transformations you have seen and how did you go about doing it? Oh, okay, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I think most practices look at this, again, from uh, a, a profitability standpoint, but also look at it from an efficiency standpoint. So I guess some of the best examples I have of changing a practice's culture is uh, I had one practice in particular uh, that uh, recently just, just had enough. You know, they let people get away with it, uh, not paying for many, many months, and they just had enough. And they just basically turned over all their AR over to me. And literally within a few days, they started getting payments. So it became what I guess was a theory or a thought or this is supposed to happen to reality very quickly. And now they have, you know, patients calling to pay their bill and, you know, they're hearing from people that they haven't heard from in a long time. So that's just a really cool, interesting story. I, I like to hear that. Right. But you also teach them how not to create more headaches for the future, right? You teach them how to not create these types of situations. And that, can you tell me a story along those lines? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no one in particular, I think, that stands out to me there. But my, my most successful clients, as a general rule of thumb, are going to see the business from two perspectives. One, from uh, a catastrophic past perspective. They've got this, what you said, would be a problem, and they want to take care of it. I think that would be equivalent to someone having a major toothache and you having to pull the tooth. It's very costly, it's very traumatic, and the outcome is negligible, right? I mean, I guess not having a tooth is better than having one that hurts, but you still can't eat steak, right? Right. So that, that's one outcome. The second outcome that, that my more successful practices see is a prophylactic response, and they see the value and, and it's just like what, what all of our practices tell patients. You know, you're supposed to be in here twice a year. You should be brushing. You should be flossing. There's all these prophylactic things you could do, and you know, Naren, 
If they did it, they wouldn't call and complain to you about cavities and root canals. I mean, they might have some, but it would be greatly reduced and less expensive, right? Yes. And the same thing can be held true for your business. So you have to exercise diligence and care to solve the problem before it occurs. And the outcome is going to be better for the patient and the practice. So I think most of my really successful practices look at it from those two, two things. Because again, pulling teeth is not what most people are wanting to be known what to do. Right. That's perfect. How can somebody get a hold of the ninja? Uh, I'm pretty accessible. Um, you can reach me by cell phone. Um, my cell phone number is area code 864-517-2233. So that's 864-517-2233. They could email me at AR, like accounts receivable, ninja at andycleveland.com. AR Ninja at andycleveland.com, or they could go to my website, andycleveland.com, or dentalpracticeninjas.com. Right. Tell us a little bit about the website, dentalpracticeninjas.com. I noticed a huge void in the dental community, and you can go on social media and you start hearing these stories of people that have tried this company and they've tried that company and a lot of times they just don't, the, the average dentist doesn't know where to turn, right? So they can research, hey, I need someone to help me with recall. Okay, so I'm going to research a bunch of people. Maybe I'll go to the trade show. I'll ask my friends. Well, that all takes time. And they're in like the average dental office. They have all these crucial functions, marketing, social media, you know, exercising clinical acumen, which is what they really want to do. I mean, they're running a business. They don't have time to exhaustively research ethical solutions. So I created Dental Practice Ninjas to help streamline that process and give dentists a free resource. They can go on and find other partners that can help them with the crucial functions in their practice that they can trust. And so I'm constantly adding best-in-class services to my website, all in an effort to better help the dentist run a more efficient practice. Any final thoughts, Andy, you want to share with people? Like any final pieces of advice or wisdom before we sign off? And by the way, we will include all your links uh, so people can easily get a hold of you uh, through the podcast. Yeah, I would say, you know, accounts receivable is kind of like a dirty word, or it's something that people tend to look at last in their business. They're much more focused about what they consider to be more urgent tasks in their business. But most practices, Naren, they have a treasure trove of profitability sitting right in front of them. So, of course, new patients are important, and website marketing, all the great things you do, that's all important. But if you have $100,000 sitting in your accounts receivable right now and you can find a partner to put a significant portion of that back in your pocket 
without creating major damage to your patient base, you don't have to do any more work. You don't have to do more procedures. You don't have to work more hours. It's literally right there in front of you. So I encourage any practice uh, owner or person in a practice on the call to look at their AR, and I'll encourage them to reach out, and I'll be very forthright if I think there's an opportunity there, or you know maybe they're just doing just fine. But people tend to do that. Accounts receivable always tends to be the last thing on the list, and I'd like to see it uh, rise up a little bit from there. Yeah, I mean, for me, the number one reason why I would focus on it is because if you don't value yourself, others won't value you. So by definition, the fact that people are not paying you means you have created the atmosphere where you don't think you are worth it. Uh, you're worth it, yes, but, right? So as opposed to, you know what, I'm worth it. I deserve every penny that I charge and I need to get paid for what I just did. So I think for me, this could totally transform a practice because I bet a lot of the practice who have this issue probably at least are seen as commodities because somehow they themselves and the people who are their employees and, and, the, and the clients don't necessarily value them as much. And I don't know, am I, am I onto something or maybe I'm wrong? You have a lot of experience. No, I, no, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at the business. And, and you see this two frames of thought pretty consistently in the dental community. You know, some see them as, as fillers and drillers and that's what they do is basic core dentistry. There's nothing wrong with that, but you see the inception of all these really kind of more concierge type practices and the independents really flourish in this arena, right? The spa-like, the hot towels, the, you know, some people are apprehensive of going to the dentist and you're going to get a much greater level of person, uh, personability in those types of practices. So I think that's, that's really a great way of looking at it. Um, you know, your patients are going to value what you place value on yourself. So if you see yourself as just a general dentist that, uh, you know, you're just trying to compete with all those big corporations, you're going to really, you're positioning yourself in a really, you know, tough position. Try to do the things that other people can't do, and that's your ultimate value proposition because it's very hard to compete with the really big companies, right? They, they have all the costs and all the, you know, all the vendors and, you know, volume discount pricing. Pretty tough to compete. Find a different way to compete with those folks. Yeah, and I, I use an example sometimes to tell a story. We have a product called Fans Choice where we have 20,000 businesses with 100,000 fans. The initial gut is to give a discount to your best clients, but actually it works against you because the minute you give a discount, you are telling the client you are worthless. Right, right. Especially your best clients. Now they treat yep. you like you're worthless, right? On the other hand, look at Nike. <laughs> Nike has this right. thing called sneaker heads. They come up with these exclusive products that are two times more expensive, but they're limited quantity and people line up and pay double the price because they love Nike. It's kind of, and like when somebody loves you, when somebody thinks highly of you, the last thing you want to do is to give them a discount. Because the minute you do that, they don't appreciate you anymore. They think you're worthless. Or right. again, discount is another way of saying, you know, let them not pay your bills. You know, the minute you say that, oh yeah, you don't need to pay my bill now, you can pay it whenever you feel like it. In their mind, you're not that worth, worthwhile. So yeah, you just devalued yourself. 
Right. So it just, I think it's a misnomer that a lot of people think doing something for free or not charging for it, it somehow makes me more valuable in the client's eyes. It just does the opposite. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. That's a really wise observation on your end. Thank you very much for your, for your time today. I learned a ton. And um, I would love to continue this conversation and maybe have you in once again. Um, thank you, Andy, and thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show.